Welcome to the Community Caregivers Connected Podcast, where we talk about how to raise healthy kids. In this series, we'll tackle every topic from substance use to mental health and relationships. In these episodes, we'll hear from a group of professionals, parents, and youth. Questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokaneprevention.com. You're listening to the Community Caregivers Connected podcast. We're the Spokane County Prevention Team, sitting down with parents, professionals, youth, and others in Spokane to talk about how we can raise healthy kids and empower our community. This month, we're talking about mental health. We have a dynamic group of individuals who will share their stories and shed some light on the mental health crisis in our country and in Spokane. Some of the content may be triggering or distressing, so please practice self-care. Understanding issues concerning mental health and suicide is an important way for us to take part in prevention and help others who are facing hardships. Help us keep up the conversation. If you are concerned about someone that may be facing a mental health difficulty, reach out to SAMHSA's National Helpline at 1-800-273-8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You are not alone, and we are here to help. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to us at spokaneprevention at gmail.com. This week on the podcast, Coalition Coordinators Kirsten Fuchs and Grace Wolkowski interview our friend Kira Rippen-Peltram from New ESD 101 and the Prevent Suicide Spokane Coalition. Welcome back to the Community Caregivers Connected podcast. Um, This is Kirsten Fuchs, the Coalition Coordinator for the East Valley Community Coalition. And I'm Grace Wolkowski, Coalition Coordinator for Shadow Prevention and Wellness Coalition. Here we're with Kira. Kira, tell us more about you. Yes. Hi, my name is Kira Peltram, and I am born and raised here in Spokane. I actually have a background in public health. So I got my undergrad at Eastern, and I'm actually working on my master's in public health as well right now at Eastern. So um, I like working with systems and, um, you know, uh, finding solutions to very complex problems. So Uh, A little bit about my role and my why for uh, mental health and suicide prevention. So my position at the ESD um, is funded through state dollars and really was created to reduce barriers and increase access to behavioral health within our local school districts. Um, So some of my work consists of providing local resources to districts, Um, facilitating mental health and suicide prevention trainings, and helping to identify and apply for mental health funding for the schools. And then another hat that I wear in the community, which is a newer role for me, is the lead facilitator role for the Prevent Suicide Spokane Coalition. Um, And my why, I believe that was the second part, right? Okay. (laughs) So my why for this work, um, you know, I have a history of mental health issues in my family. I actually had a cousin who was a professional athlete that died by suicide at the age of 27. So this is definitely hard work for me. I also have uh, parents that are both teachers. And so, you know, through their experiences, I've had the, the opportunity, I guess, to see the really complex challenges that students bring to school every day. Um, and so, I would say through those, you know, lived experiences with mental health and also um, just the the value and importance in school and, and being able to access those services is really important. Thanks, Kara. So to 
could you give us some uh, examples of maybe some signs and symptoms that maybe there's some mental health needs in a person? Yeah, so for signs and symptoms, um, you know, particularly when we're talking about suicide, um, we talk about what's called warning signs. So um, potential warning signs are, you know, perhaps they are withdrawing from their friend groups or they're not engaging in some of those normal activities. Um, that's something that we would consider a warning sign. Um, and symptoms are a little bit different. So if somebody is experiencing symptoms that could be um, physical symptoms, so the way that they're presenting. So we often say in some of our trainings that the nurses are the best contacts within the school um, to recognize a mental health issue because often they do present as physical first. So for example, if they're having a stomach ache, that could be a, a good indicator that maybe there's some anxiety or depression that's underlying as well. And those are just a couple. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So you mentioned schools um, and nurses. What does the access to resources in schools look like to you? So access in schools, uh, you know, that depends greatly depending on what area that we're talking about. Um, typically what we see, because at the ESD, we work with 59 school districts, um, you know, so we have anywhere from Spokane Public Schools that we work with, which is the second largest school district in the state, um, to a school district like, you know, um, in some of our rural counties, they can have as few as 20 students within the school district. So we've got this really wide spectrum of, you know, not only number of students and staff, but also access to resources just based off your geographic location. Um, so, I don't know that I have a great answer to that, but I, I can say that, um, you know, it's especially in the rural areas, it can be a, a definite challenge to access those services because you might have to drive 30 to 60, 90 miles away. Whereas, you know, in an area like Spokane, those services are certainly a lot more accessible. Do you think that um, when you talk about rural communities, do you think that uh um, those smaller communities need um, like more parent or staff um, like education and knowledge for them to help their youth. Do you think that parents should be like really involved in that? Um, or like, what does that, what do you think that would look like um, in some of those smaller school districts? I went to a really small school district and I know my parents were super involved in uh, school life. Um, and I wondered just how that might differ from like a really big school district where parents may not have as much opportunity to be involved. Certainly, I think that education piece is huge. And I think that's something that um, despite all the barriers, um, anybody can access and get the information that they need. Um, a couple tips that we recommend for parents is first of all, well, first of all, that having a trusted adult is one of the strongest protectors that a child can have. Um, that's something that we know. And a couple other tips for parents are just to pay attention. So um, look for some of those changes in behavior, some of the warning signs, and that also is a great way to open up that door to having that conversation. Um, and also some tips are just to validate how that student might be feeling, right? Um, let them know that, that it's okay not to be okay sometimes rather than trying to fix that problem, right? Um, and then in addition to validating how it is that they might be feeling. 
Um, it's also just important to know what supports are available and how to access them. So we just say to, you know, do your research. Um, anyone can is capable of making that referral to a mental health provider. Um, one tip and trip that I, I like that I've found is um, it's a site called psychologytoday.com where you can actually, um, you know, I always recommend that when parents are asking because you can filter for a therapist based on not only your diagnosis, but your insurance okay. types. You can actually find um, the right fit for you based on your geographic location as well. Um, so those are just some quick tips for parents that, that we recommend just to, you know, in, in case they are looking for some of those tools. It's a really great resource. Um, Grace and I are sitting here thinking, and I'm wondering what, some people might not know what a trusted adult is and what that looks like. Um, and for some kids that may not be their parents or teachers, mm -hmm. um, do you want to give some examples of what a trusted adult might look like in a child's life? Um, just for those maybe who are listening that um, that are curious about how they can help um, youth in their lives. Sure. So like you said, you know, it doesn't have to be the parent, but it's somebody that that young person feels like they um you know are confident that they could open up to if they're struggling with something um it's you know this could be a, a it could be the parent but it also could look like a coach or a clergy member or you know if they're involved in some club or activity um somebody that they feel like they could open up to and be vulnerable and especially in a topic like mental health which is it's not the easiest of conversations to have sometimes, but somebody that they know will, and is also just available to listen to them. That's awesome. Yeah, I know for me growing up, uh, my trusted adult was a librarian. So um, even those out of the box things totally work. Uh, what are some trainings that, um, you know, either you offer or you have heard about that could help support those that are in crisis or maybe change the culture around mental health in a community? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a good segue to talk about the coalition a little bit, but we have um, within the Prevent Suicide Spokane Coalition, we have a number of stakeholders that offer a variety of different trainings in the community, which is great. Um, so I would say some of the more popular ones specifically for suicide prevention are there's a program called QPR. Uh, there's we offer a program called Signs of Suicide which uh, we talk about some myths and facts of suicide, and then we get into the warning signs and symptoms, and then how to make that referral um, to a provider. Uh, there, let's see, just trying to think. There's a program called ASSIST. Um, you know, they're all pretty structured pretty similarly, like um, giving the baseline of what to look for, and then how to get that young person to the next level of care. Um, another program that we train on here at the ESD is called Youth Mental Health First Aid. Um, and that program I especially like because not only does it go through what I had just mentioned about the warning signs and symptoms and the referral piece, but it also talks about um, typical adolescent behavior. And it uh, kind of teases out um, how, like the big joke in the program is that oftentimes um, typical adolescents can look like 
a mental health um, challenge or, or um, issue that's going on because, uh, you know, teenagers often do have mood swings and, you know, so, um, but being able to differentiate the two and um, just knowing what to look for and, and just being really hypervigilant about um, knowing what those signs and symptoms are. So when you talk about signs and symptoms, and I, I hear a couple words thrown around a lot, um, what does postvention versus prevention look like, um, especially in the school? Ooh, that's a great question. So I like to think about suicide as a whole as having three different legs. So really what we're talking about is uh, suicide prevention. There's the intervention piece as well, and then postvention. Um, what we offer here at the ESD for as far as training really falls under that prevention category, right? So we want to educate uh, whether it's the parents, the students, or the staff on what are some things to look for um, to prevent that suicide from happening. Or the intervention piece, let's say that, you know, we have a student that's expressing thoughts of suicide, or perhaps they've made an attempt in the past. Um, we have a suicide prevention protocol that we help schools to utilize um, that actually walks them through, okay, so when the student is having these thoughts or feelings, what are my next steps and what uh, resources can I access in the community um, to help them through that crisis time? And then, you know, with postvention, uh, really what that means is, you know, un unfortunately, you know, we, we may save a lot of lives um, from our suicide prevention efforts and even our intervention, but we know that there's times when we can't save them all. Um, so that postvention piece is really talking about when we've had a loss to suicide, um, what does the response look like, not only in the school, but in the community, and how we can we wrap around um, all of the supports that we have um, to address that appropriately and also to uh, prevent that contagion factor, um, which is, uh, you know, sometimes what happens is when there is a loss, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, that can be a compounding effect. So we might have multiple losses. So we really wanna prevent that from happening and also making sure that that safety component is huge. So um, making sure that all those supports are in place um, when there is a loss. Thank you for that, Kira. That was just like the perfect way to to wrap up our like our podcast today and helping those people understand that there are so many different things that we're talking about when it comes to mental health. Um, and wow, we just really appreciate your expertise today. So many good things. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Do you have any other last thoughts that you would like to share with the general before we close out today? I don't think so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Um, again, Kira works for new ESD 101, and she is here to support. Thanks, Kira. Yeah, thank you so much, Kira. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me. Next week, we'll sit down with Coalition Coordinator Sarah McNew as she talks to Amanda from NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. The Community Caregivers Connected podcast is made possible with funding through the Washington State Healthcare Authority, drug-free community grant funds from the CDC, and new ESD 101. 
questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokaneprevention.com.